0: Hey, welcome to New Life Church. Thank you for joining us at home. Our mission at New Life Church is to advance God's kingdom in ourselves, our families, community, and the rest of the world. We're in a series entitled Kingdom, where we're talking about the kingdom of God. The last couple of weeks, we've had some roundtables, and after my shortened sermon, we've had some discussions that have been really great and powerful, and we're going to do the same thing today. Um, below in the comments, uh, there will be a link to a PDF that will have some questions. So as soon as we're done with the message, um, get around and discuss this with those in your family or those who are watching this with, or if you have any other friends who also attend New Life Church as well, or if this resonates with you and you think that someone else will hear it, share, send them to our website to listen to it, and you can go ahead and discuss it with them. Well, we started talking about how the kingdom of God is now and not yet that we are stuck in this weird spot where we have access to the kingdom of God, but yet we are also looking forward to when it will be fully fulfilled down the road. Last week, we looked about how Jesus inaugurated the kingdom of God, about how he showed everyone what the kingdom of God was about, about that the kingdom of God was setting people free from sickness and death, setting people free from the enemy, and setting people free from sin. And that for us at New Life, in our mission statement, when we advance God's kingdom, that's exactly what we are called to do, to go and to set people free through the message of Jesus Christ. We also talked about how the kingdom of God isn't a physical kingdom, but instead a heavenly kingdom, that it has to do with God's rule or reign. Well, today, this series, or this this, uh, sermon today, is called The Upside-Down Kingdom. What it represents is how Jesus, when he was on this earth, he spent three years just completely turning the entire idea of what it means to be great upside down. He completely redefined what we should value, what our standards and ideals should be. In fact, in this PDF that uh, you have access to that was emailed out or that's in our comments. There's actually a little spreadsheet that has some kingdom values, kingdom of God values versus the kingdom of the world values that we're going to be looking at a little bit. You know, when Jesus was on earth, as he redefined greatness, redefined values, it's really unfair that he is asking us to accept these values on our own while we're still here on earth because nobody else values them. But Jesus knows what he's doing. He's asking us as Christians to live differently from the rest of the world, very differently. So for a verse that we're going to look at today, it's in Matthew 20. We are going to fast forward to the very end of Jesus's life, the end of his ministry here on earth. This encounter happened a week before he was killed. In fact, we find out he's on his way to Jerusalem for his very last week on earth. He's in a city of Jericho, about 20 miles away from Jerusalem, so a couple of days' journey, when he has an encounter with two of his disciples, disciples that were there from the very beginning. You know, there were lots of different um, examples that I can use to talk about the upside-down nature of the kingdom, but I thought this just encapsulates all of them beautifully, because he contrasts the world's values and the kingdom of God's values. So let's go ahead and read. We'll pick up here. Matthew 20, verse 17. It says, As Jesus was going to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside privately and told them what was going to happen to him. Listen, we're going up to Jerusalem where the Son of Man will be betrayed to the leading priests and teachers of religious law. They will sentence him to die. Then they will hand him over to the Romans to be mocked, flogged with a whip and crucified. But on the third day, he will be raised from the dead. So he gives the disciples the game plan. This is what will happen when we get to Jerusalem just in the next day or two. Again, put yourselves in the mind of the disciples. They are expecting the kingdom of God to come, but they are expecting that it will look much differently than the way Jesus is going to usher in his kingdom. They are still thinking that since they've been the 12 closest disciples and on the ground floor, that they will have positions of power in this new kingdom. So I bet they were thrown for a little bit of a loop when he tells them, hey, I'm going to be tortured and executed. They were like, okay, Jesus, yeah, sounds really good. As we are prepared to go into Jerusalem and overthrow the Romans who were there. And now we see the encounter with James and John and Jesus in verse 20 says the mother of james and john the sons of zebedee came to jesus with her sons she knelt respectfully to ask a favor what is your request jesus asked she replied in your kingdom please let my two sons sit in places of honor next to you one to your right and one to your left but jesus answered by saying to them You don't know what you are asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I am about to drink? Oh, yeah, they replied, We're able. Jesus told them, You will indeed drink from my bitter cup, but I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. My Father has prepared those places for the ones that He has chosen. So there's a lot going on here, a lot of figurative language taking place. He starts by saying, yeah, you don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) This kingdom is going to look differently than what you are asking. And he uses this language of drinking a bitter cup. And what he's basically saying is, are are you willing to do what I'm about to do? I'm about to be tortured and suffer and killed. Are you willing to do that? Sure, we're ready. I'm sure they assumed in a figurative sense, right? Because if they're going to be sitting in the right and the left hand of Jesus... In his kingdom, they probably wouldn't be dead. See what James and John did here. They didn't ask, Hey, can we just be a part of your kingdom? I want to be there right close to you. What they were asking for was a position of authority. They wanted a place of honor. See, they wanted the kingdom of God to be based on seniority. James and John were there longer than anybody. We saw last week, the very first week of public ministry, James and John were right there. Have you ever had a job based on seniority before that you've worked? It's really amazing if you are at the top, not so much if you are new and starting at the bottom. The longer you're there, the more and better benefits you get. And that's what they were asking for. We want the best benefits. We want to rule alongside you in authority and glory. I like how Jesus doesn't say no to their question. He simply said, if you want to sit next to me, this is what it will cost you. This is the cost of what it means to be great in my kingdom to drink that cup of suffering. I think that this request that they ask for goes under the category of be careful what you wish for. Because both James and John suffered. James, we see in Acts 12, was the first disciple that was killed. He was martyred, beheaded, because of the message of the gospel. Tradition also tells us that John was thrown alive into a burning vat of oil and somehow survived it. Both of them suffered for the gospel. What Jesus does here is that he helps define the values of the kingdom of God. And now, with what he is about to say, he sums up what it means to be great in God's kingdom. He does this in an interesting way. He contrasts the rulers of the world versus the rulers of the kingdom of God, and that they both value different things, and he invites his disciples to value what those in the kingdom of God value. So let's read verse 24. When the other ten disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. Right? I'd be too. (laughs) They're trying to leapfrog me or some of the other people. But Jesus called the disciples together and said, You know that the rulers of this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. This word here, the rulers of the world lord it over their people. That word, lord it over, um, is a very interesting word. It's a, it's a Greek word. It's what's called a compound word, meaning two separate words that mean different things put together. The first word kata just means down. The second word koyuro means authority. So it's literally down authority, almost like you have authority over somebody, but you are pushing and squeezing them down. A great example is the phrase that we have in English, you know, I have you under my thumb. He's saying that the rulers of the world put those under their thumb they press down on the people that they rule almost this picture of as they are climbing up the ladder these rulers to try to raise to the top they are stepping over the people that are their subjects and they also do this by flaunting their authority i do what i want i'm the boss I think from the beginning of time, we have seen rulers that are very ambitious, overzealous self-promoters who know no limits, who through corruption, through um, being driven by proud hearts, they seek power at the expense of all others. Anyone think today that the world values that kind of leader, the leader who rises to the top? Who does great and amazing things. In fact, we seem to be almost more impressed with where they are and to be less concerned about how they actually got there. That's fascinating to me as I read God's Word, as I continue to study God's Word, how little we have changed. This book was written millennia ago. You would have hoped that we as humans would have evolved, become better people, but it's like I look at the Human nature at <laughs> the leaders back in those days. And I look around at the leaders nowadays. I said, yeah, you, you are the exact same way, concerned with power. But also we are swept up in valuing that and being okay with people stepping over others in order to get to places of power. And, and now we get to the upside down nature of the kingdom. What the kingdom of God is about. Verse 26, Jesus says this, But among you it will be different. But among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become a slave. For the Son of Man came not to serve, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus tells us that for those who have chosen to be under the rule and reign of God, we must live and act differently than everyone else. I think a lot of times we know that, right? We could say, okay, I could see why as Christians, as why those following after the Lord, once I accept Jesus as king of my life, I could see that maybe my values would change from the world. But what's fascinating here is that what Jesus is asking us to do is act differently, He's not asking us to necessarily change our views or opinions. He's simply asking us to change how we choose to interact with others. You see, in order to elevate yourselves and get greater in the kingdom of God, you must lower yourself and become humble. You must put others first above you. That's how you get great. And the more you elevate yourself, the higher of a position you get. In the kingdom of God, in fact, you're actually lowering yourself. It's completely the opposite. And this creates a problem for those of us in the world. It's this back to the now and not yet weirdness. That on the one hand in the world, we are seen as great by moving up, but yet the counterpart in the kingdom of God, like a seesaw, is going down. And that as we become more humble and more of a servant in the kingdom of the world, we get greater in the kingdom of God. Jesus here, I love this, he he doesn't condemn the desire to be great, right? He doesn't say, hey, you shouldn't be great. No, he tells you how to become great. He tells James and John how to get to the place where they can sit at the right and the left hand of him. He tells them. The problem is he redefines what greatness is in their minds. He says that greatness will look different than the way everyone else tells you to be great. Everyone else will tell you that in order to be great, you must crush your enemy. You must outpace those around you. But instead, you actually have to serve. That's how you will sit on my right in my left hand side. That's how you will become great. There's a, um, a book that I've read. It's called The Art of War by Sun Tzu. This was written 550 years before Jesus, it's the oldest military treaties in the world. Um, it goes into the really concept of warfare. And I, that kind of stuff interests me. So I've read it before. And this is something that is read. It's kind of almost like a leadership book that's thousands of years old. You, I know that football coaches read it. I know that realtors have read it. And other different um, businessmen have, have read it. Because it talks about stra- uh, strategy. I almost said strategery. Is that a word? If it's not a word, no one's here. No one can correct, can correct me on on, on Zoom. On, I was going to say on Zoom, on, on live Livestream. It goes over this strategery on how to win. And there's this quote that I've heard use quite often. Sun Tzu says this, the clever person imposes his will on the other, but does not allow the other's will to be imposed on him. So in order for you to be clever, I need to impose my will on you. And if I'm failing in life, your will is imposed on me. I think that that is perfectly sums up the world's um, way to greatness. You impose your will on somebody else. That's how you will become great. That's how you will get all the things in life that you want. Your will and desires over someone else. And don't let yourself, your own will, be subject under someone else's and they impose it on you. This is the problem for us. That pesky Matthew 20, verse 26. But among you, it will be different. The road to greatness in the kingdom lies in selfless service. Jesus' point here is that all of us need to consider everyone else our master. That we are a servant. Use of the term Slave bond servant, somebody who is completely indebted to someone else. And that as we serve them, we become great. That superiority in the kingdom of God is is obtained through self-sacrificing. You think that of one person out there is exempt from this, is grandfathered into this clause, would be Jesus, right? God, creator of the universe, there as a part from the beginning of time and come down on earth in the flesh. If anybody doesn't have to practice what he preached, it would be Jesus. Instead, verse 28, he says, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life. The kingdom of God is an upside-down kingdom. It looks weird. It looks different. The reason it looks different is because Jesus asks us to live differently than everyone else around us, to value these principles. And we're stuck, torn, trying to figure out this seesaw of life. So we have some questions, like I said, in our comment section right now. There's a link to go ahead and go through. I'm asking for the first question to take a look and read a story in John 13 where Jesus washes his disciples' feet. This happens just a couple days after the story. Read through that account and then answer the questions that are there. And then the second page, it goes over that table I was telling you about contrasts the kingdom of the world versus the kingdom of God and asks you to really take a look at that list and figure out where you struggle with. Because some of these things great against our human nature. All right. Well, love you guys. I'm going to say the blessing over you as you go. Take some time and discuss this with your friends and family. So today, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. Amen. Love you guys.